Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Well, welcome. I already said that to you, so we'll get right in. Uh, This week, uh, a few days ago, somebody asked me, and maybe you've had this question, but uh, a person asked me, they said, hey, what was your favorite birthday? And, And for me, I've had 44 of them, so I had a few to pick from. And, and, but, but immediately it came to my mind, man, I remembered it was my 16th birthday. Uh, and I remember why it was such an important birthday and why it was, I remember it so well. I mean, obviously it was fun for, you know, all the normal reasons that you like to have your birthday. But I remember on my 16th birthday, I got surprised royally. Like my mom and my friends did an amazing job and totally surprised me. I remember going over to the Barry's house. This was a, a home that I went to. One of my friends lived there, and we kind of it was kind of one of the houses that all the teenagers hung out at. We, you know, spent a lot of weekends there. And I remember going to the Barry's house just like any other week and spending some time there and, and heading up to the game room. It was you'd go in their house and if you went totally, totally game room, and that was really where we hung out a lot. And I remember totally, totally not expecting it come in the house. How you doing, Mrs. Barry? How you doing? My friend's name was Lori and, and hanging out with them a little. And then I don't remember how they got me, but I, I walked up the stairs, opened the door to the game room. And a lot of my family and friends were in there and they're like, surprise. And it totally got me by surprise. For you, you, you might remember a time and maybe if you think back, it's probably not super hard, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, to remember a time when you got caught totally off guard. Maybe it was a birthday. Maybe, man, maybe you're the hardest person to surprise, but finally your family and your friends got you. Maybe it was the promotion that you didn't expect. I mean, you, you just went to work like a normal day. You got called into the boss's office, which usually isn't necessarily a great thing. But you were, man, pleasantly surprised. You got a raise, you got a promotion, and it, man, it blew your mind. You weren't expecting it. Or maybe it was the engagement that you were sure she was going to say yes to, and she didn't. And you were caught totally off guard. Or maybe it was that you and your wife already had two kids, and you thought that was great, and you received a text from your wife from the CVS bathroom that told you, you're going to have another kid. That happened to me. And, uh, and I was totally caught off guard. You, you've had different things. You've had different things in your life where you expected one thing, you were going one direction, and then, man, you got totally caught off guard. And for a lot of those things, some of those maybe were life-changing. They were some, maybe some big events. But probably, as surprising as some of those things were, and as much as they changed your life, they probably weren't as big of a surprise as Jesus' followers had when they were following him 
right at the beginning when he was here on earth. Jesus followers, the the disciples, kind of the the people that were kind of closest to Jesus, if he had kind of a group of guys and gals that were kind of his closest followers, man, man, they were following him and they got totally caught off guard by what Jesus did and kind of the direction of his life and ministry. And, and, and he was following, they were following him, but they had a different picture of how things were going to play out than how they ended up playing out. And, and as we've seen, we've been kind of walking through the book of Mark this summer. And as you've seen, as we walked through the book of Mark, if you've been here, you've been watching online, man, early on to be a follower of Jesus... Man, that was a pretty good gig. I mean, think about it. You go to a wedding, they run out of wine, Jesus just takes some water and makes the best wine ever. Like, wow, this is well, pretty fun to follow this, dude. You, you, you walk through cities and Jesus is just healing people, and man, the crowds are getting bigger, and you're on the inner circle of this thing. And so, man, the, the early days of following Jesus as a disciple and, and some of his closest followers. It seemed to be a pretty good gig. And all of Jesus' followers, they kind of had a direction that they saw this thing going. They, they thought, man, this is the guy that's finally going to put his boot on the neck of Rome. And man, this is the guy, and I'm on the inner circle. And they were starting to pick out cabinet positions. They're like, you know, this, and you know, not out loud a lot, but just in the back of their mind, they're thinking, okay, when, this, when Jesus takes over... You know, which slot am I going to take? They're already starting to measure the office for, for their drapes. And man, this is like, they're, they're ready for this thing. And then Jesus starts talking crazy. He, he just, uh, last week we saw this, he, he starts saying things like, it's necessary for me to be rejected and suffer and die and rise again. And Peter, being the bold one that Peter is, he tried to confront that and tried to correct Jesus, and that didn't go well for him. And so you're, you know, it's a few days later, and and you're thinking, I mean, you you heard Jesus talk about that. You weren't a big fan of that because that's totally different than how you saw this thing going. And I don't know what the disciples were thinking at this point, but maybe they were thinking, okay, he hasn't mentioned it for a day or two, maybe bad pizza or something, and he was just talking crazy Maybe that's, you know, let's not pay attention. But then just a few days later, you're doing what you do all the time with Jesus. You're kind of walking from city to city, kind of like what they always did. And Jesus brings it up again. He brings it up again. And he, and he tells us, guys, as they're walking uh, from city to city, he says, you know what, guys? I'm going to be betrayed. Guys, I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. And and the disciples are kind of walking with him, and and they're kind of listening, but they're not getting it. They're just not catching what Jesus is really saying, and and they're kind of having a side conversation as well, and they just just did not grasp what Jesus was saying, either because they didn't want to or they couldn't, but they did not want to hear that. And then the scriptures tells us about a time when they got, after they're done walking, they get to Capernaum. And they're at Peter's house, most likely. And Jesus does what Jesus does pretty regularly. He asks a pointed question to draw them out about what they were talking about. It says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. It says, they came to Capernaum. 
like I said, possibly Peter's home, place where probably Jesus stayed when he was in the area. And when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you arguing about on the way? You know, guys, when I was talking about the whole three days, you know, rising again, and I was talking about being betrayed and dying, I was kind of walking you through that, guys. You seemed to be arguing. There was something else going on. You were having a, a heated conversation. What were you guys talking about? And, and for some reason, the guys were speechless. It says, but they were silent. It's like, come on, P Peter. Dude, if anybody's going to speak up, when are you speechless, buddy? You always got something to say. What were you guys talking about? And they were silent. They were speechless. They were embarrassed about what they had been talking about. They were probably feeling a little bit convicted. And here's what Mark tells us. It says, because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. See, Jesus, he had explained clearly to them, hey guys, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, this thing's going to look a little different than probably how you're expecting it, and, and all the while, these guys are still jockeying for like the position. And so he asked, he asked this question, hey guys, what were you talking about? Nobody wants to speak up. They're like, I ain't bringing it up. Somebody else want to tell Jesus because I'm not doing it. Of course, Jesus knew what they were talking about, and so this is what Jesus does. All right, guys, time to have a little come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. So have a seat. And it says this, sitting down. So I don't know if it's like they're talking, but now it's like he's sitting down. So it's time to really listen. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, then they're all like, that would be me. That caught their attention. Oh, Jesus is talking about how I can be on the top. And then he said this, he must be last and servant of all. If anybody wants to be first, he has to be last. He has to be the servant of all. And that word servant, there's different words in the scriptures when, when they talk about servant. Sometimes when they talk about a servant, it's, a, it's man, like a slave. Like you do what your master says and that's just the way it goes. But this time when they're talking about servant, it's one who attends to the needs of others freely. So, so this type of servant that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about somebody that serves not because they have to, not because somebody's making them, but because they want to. And Jesus says, hey guys, you're talking about who's going to be best and who's the greatest. Hey guys, listen up. The way you're thinking, what you're focusing on, the direction you're going, your target is the wrong target. Your target is, is absolutely wrong. You're aiming at the wrong target, and that never goes well. You're, to be great, what you're aiming for is totally wrong. I don't know if you remember, if you're a sports fan, you, you will probably remember this, but back uh, probably early, I think it was in the 70s, there was a guy by the name of Jim Marshall who was a lineman for the Minnesota Vikings. And if you're a lineman, especially a defensive lineman, you don't get the ball a lot. And you don't get, you don't, not only do you not get the ball, but you rarely ever score a touchdown, maybe never in your whole career. So man, when a lineman gets the ball, they almost don't know what to do with it. I mean, they're so happy. They're waving to their mom, just so happy they got the ball. And Jim Marshall, he'll never live this down, 
He got the ball, and I'm going to show you a clip here in a second, and he passionately ran towards the touchdown, but he ran towards the wrong touchdown. Watch this clip. He's so happy right here. Don't you love the other team coming up and giving him high fives? Like, he's running like, I am so fast, nobody can catch me. And they're like, you go, buddy, you go. And then he scores. I mean, for a moment there, man, Jim, he was excited. Man, he was passionately running towards the touchdown. It was his moment of fame. And then very quickly, he realized he was running toward the wrong target. And it led to disappointment and decades of embarrassment now uh, for him. But I show you that because this is kind of what the disciples were doing. They were so excited to be in a spot where they could be great. And man, they were running towards the touchdown. And Jesus is like, guys, you're running the wrong way. Your goal is is totally the opposite of what my goal is in the kingdom. And this is really important, this next statement. Jesus did not condemn the desire to improve one's position in life but taught that greatness in his kingdom was not determined by status, but by service. Jesus wasn't like, hey, you you guys just got to be idiots and you shouldn't accomplish anything. And you got to, no, 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 no. He wasn't against that. He wasn't against making your life better. He wasn't against being good at things. He was just against you being so focused on status. And he's saying, in my kingdom, status doesn't matter. It's service. That's how we measure greatness in my kingdom. See, culture tells us to use people to accomplish our agenda. And you see this. We've got business people in the room. We have teachers in the room, athletes in the room. We have people in the medical field all, all over the place. We have people in a lot of different situations. And we see, you see this. You see people that are nice to you. You see people that... And maybe you're tempted to be like this too, where, man, you're nice to people and you do things for people, but at the end of the day, there's a little bit of an agenda. There's a little bit of an agenda. Like, would your boss be that nice to you if you were just neighbors? Or is there a little bit of an agenda where, because culture tells us that, man, we use people to accomplish our agenda, where Jesus tells us that we serve people with no agenda. It's a different kingdom. And that's what Jesus was trying to, to tell the guys. He's trying to explain to them, guys, you're, you're shooting at the wrong target. You want to be great. You, you think this thing's all about status. And, and man, you're shooting at the wrong target. In, in my kingdom, we don't use people to get to our agenda. We serve people with no agenda. It's about service, not status. And to better illustrate this, Jesus, this very next phrase, it says this. It says, he, he took a child. And again, th- they're, they're sitting in a house. So this kid might be Peter's kid. It might be one of the disciples' kids. This is just a house. They're sitting down. They're talking. And it says, he took a child, 
had him stand among them and, and taking him in his arms. And so this child, the Greek word here means kind of, it's probably like a toddler, a little baby, not, not like an older kid. It's probably like a toddler. And, and here's what's interesting about children in this society. Children were honestly not that important in this society. They were basically, you know, they were, they were kids. They couldn't do a whole lot for you. They were weak. They were pretty marginalized in society. Uh, they were unable to help on the farm. They were unable to produce much. And so children and honestly, children and women were not looked at great in this society. And Jesus changed that for women and for children in his teaching. But so, so Jesus brings this little kid amongst the disciples and maybe, you know, sits him on his lap as kind of an illustration. And, and Jesus said this to them. It says, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. See, this, this child, it, it stands for someone that can't help you. They can do nothing for you. There's nothing, man, if you change this kid's diaper, man, they're not giving you a hundred bucks for that. They can't help you. They can't do anything for you. And Jesus says, but when you serve this little one who can do nothing for you, cannot help move your agenda forward at all, you're serving the weak, the lowly, it's like you're serving me. And when you serve me, Jesus, it's like you're serving my father who's God. And so, man, Jesus, at this moment, he puts tremendous credibility and dignity into this act of serving people that can do nothing for you. Uh, and it's almost as if, and, and you follow the passage along, Jesus is making this point with his guys, the little kid sitting on his lap, and it's almost as if the conversation is getting a little too uncomfortable, and so John abruptly tries to change the subject. Like Jesus is making his point with this little kid, and, and, and then John, all of a sudden, John says, he's like, hey, Jesus, we saw a dude casting out demons that's not part of our Jesus club. Should we have stopped him? He, he's not really part of our group, but we saw him casting out demons. We weren't really sure what to do with them. And it's like, John, like social skills 101, buddy, we're in the middle of a conversation. I'm, I'm talking to you about greatness in the kingdom, and he just randomly brings up, maybe he just walked in the room, he had, maybe he hadn't heard the whole conversation, but he, he brings this up, and so Jesus is gracious, and so he addresses it, he says, hey, don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me, man, just, hey, if somebody's living for me and doing things in my name, great, then that means they're probably not our enemy, so go, let them do it. For whosoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. So Jesus addresses it. And then with the child probably still right there, Jesus takes that opportunity to maybe lean back in to what he was saying. And remember, this kid's right there. He's just talked about how serving this child and, and people that are represented by this child, lowly people, people that can't help you, that's the way into the kingdom. That's part of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. And so with that kid still there, he says this. He says, 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away or stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Basically, in, in this day and age, there, was, there were millstones that helped uh, grind like grain. And these millstones were so huge that they had to have like a donkey or some type of an animal that would actually turn the millstone because they were so heavy. And, and basically what Jesus is saying, he's saying his point is, man, it would be better to die a really rough death than to lead a follower of Jesus into sin. He's using this kid this, as an example. And he's saying, man, if you are going to be great in my kingdom, you're going to be a person who serves people and helps them spiritually, not hinders them. If you're going to be somebody that's great in my kingdom, because, man, he's just talked about that. Now he has this kid. You're going to be somebody that, man, leans into me and is somebody that helps people move forward spiritually and serves them so that it, it helps them grow to know me. You're not going to be somebody that turns people away from me. And Jesus, he, he, he goes on and he, he uses some like extreme language to talk about sin. He's like, well, while we're on the subject, while we're on the subject of sin, and Jesus like, man, he goes, dives in deep and he uses some like pretty harsh language to talk about sin. He's just talked about greatness and what that looks like. And now he's kind of tying that into serving people by not helping them walk away from Jesus. And then he's like, you know what, while we're on the subject of sin, let me talk about it. And he says this, and he says, and if, which the word if means basically whenever. So whenever your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. Obviously, Jesus wasn't telling people to cut their hands off. But what his point was to his followers is he's saying, hey, if you're my follower and you see an area of your life that is pulling you away from intimacy with me and it's pulling me away or you away from walking closely with me, you need to radically get that out of your life. And, and he goes on to, just to like make it more awkward and to use more extreme language and to really get these guys attention. He says this, it's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye, it's like, man, is he just going to go through the whole body? If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You're like, okay, Jesus, we get it. You are not a big fan of sin. We get it. You, you've made that clear, but Jesus, this, this poke your eye out, this like cut your foot off, your cut your hand off, man, this sin and hell, this is not good for optics. This is not going to win you any popularity contest. And Jesus would say to that as he's been talking about what greatness really is, he's saying, you know what? Doesn't matter. Because my kingdom is not built on popularity. It's not built on status. It's built on service. See, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to give hopeless people hope. I came to give people 
who, who, who are struggling in life. I came to give them life and not just life. I came to give them life more abundantly. And sin is the enemy. Sin does the opposite. Sin steals life. Sin hurts people. Sin crushes families. Sin ruins eternities. And Jesus is straightforward, man. Sin is the enemy because it's doing what I came to stop. And so he's so clear. He's so strong on this. And as, as he's here, I mean, his, his guys are like, Jesus, we were just trying to have a conversation on the way here, buddy. You're like, you're going after us. And Peter's not about to speak up now because he, he kind of got talked to last time he spoke up. But, but Jesus, is, he's leaning into this. And, and here's what he's trying to say. Jesus called to serve and take sin seriously. And it, it may seem radical, but it's normal in the kingdom of God. It's normal to serve people sacrificially. It's normal to take sin seriously because sin destroys what Jesus came to save. That's normal. Where in society, that sounds radical. I remember reading a, a book about a, a pilot that a guy who was married, he's a successful guy, pilot. And because he traveled all over the world and you know, all over the states to, to travel with his, with his job, he would stay in a lot of different hotels. So you know, if you've been a pilot or you're a stewardess, you, you understand. Like you go to different cities and they put you up. And that was just his life. And he had a young family. And, and before you know it, and it started really small for him, he began to dabble with some pornography. As he would travel and he'd kind of be by himself in hotel rooms, he started to just kind of dabble with pornography and then it got to the point where it went from dabbling in pornography and kind of starting small and nobody really knows and it's not a big deal and it's not really going to affect me to it took over his life. And he tells a story of how, man, it took over his life and how it ruined his family. It crushed relationships. It messed up his job. I mean, it just affected every area of his life. And if the story ended there, man, it'd be a tragedy. But man, this, this gentleman, he, he repented. He got some counseling. His wife divorced him, so he didn't have the same family. He ended up getting remarried. But he decided that, man, it had taken him down so much that he was going to be radical about not letting pornography destroy him in the future. And so what he would do after kind of his life had been changed and not wanting to get back into it, when he would travel and he would go into a hotel, he would make the people take the TV out of his room before he would go into that hotel room. And you think, dude, that's a little extreme. And that's a little embarrassing. Like, you're at the front desk like, hey guys, would you mind taking my TV out of my room? What? And if they wouldn't do it, what he did, he'd take it out and just set it outside the door. And you think, man, that's super extreme. But for this guy, he, he took this so seriously. He took his relationship with God so seriously. And he, he knew how sin had destroyed his life before. And he didn't want that to happen with his new wife. And so, man, he got radical about cutting things out of his life that destroyed intimacy with Jesus. And, man, he, he just wouldn't do it. And, and here's what I've, I found as I was studying this. And, and you think, man, these are kind of separate things, but it all really ties together. And here's why. Our view of sin points back to the conversation about greatness. And here's what I mean. Because a life marked with humility 
will serve others and take sin seriously. All the way back to, to talking about greatness and who's the best and you know, who's proud. The, a life that is marked with humility will serve others. They'll understand that, man, I don't need to be at the top. I need to serve people. And they will take sin seriously. A life marked with pride will serve themselves and be held captive by sin. And I think Jesus, as he's talking to these guys, and obviously he's like the, the, the master teacher. He's just talked to them about greatness and about pride. And then he brings in this conversation about sin and what destroys. And he's tying them together. Because Jesus' brother said it this way, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where the first part of that verse was the picture of my life. I got this. I'm important. I can't fall. I mean, I, I get it how some other people could and but you know what? I'm more disciplined than them, and I've, I've got my life together. I read my Bible every day, and, and I wouldn't have said, oh, I'm a proud person, and I'm not humble, and I would have said all the right things, but I had a heart full of pride, and the whole time, God is resisting me. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever felt that way? Where, where maybe you didn't even know it, but, but you found yourself, I could never fall. I'm too important for that. I'm too disciplined for that. I've, I do all, and you check the boxes, I do all the right things. And Jesus' brother James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the people that know they need God. He gives grace to the people that know the way to the top is from the bottom and it's a place of service. And my friend says it this way, leadership starts at the feet of Jesus. That's where leadership really starts in the kingdom. And so as we kind of start to, to close things up, I want you to think about this. And we, we talked a little bit about this last week. We talked about how there's really not a middle ground like there's, there's, there's two kingdoms and, and we're serving one of two kingdoms. And, and so the question is, hey, which one am I? Is, is my life, my attitude, the way I lead, the way I use my resources, is it serving the kingdom of God or is it serving the evil one? There's not like a middle ground where I don't serve either. I'm, I'm doing one or the other. And, and, and probably for all of us, there's a kingdom that you feel more at home in. Like, like, do you feel more at home in, in the kingdom of God where, man, it's, it's marked with humility and service? Or, or would you be honest and say, you know what? I find myself feeling more and more comfortable in this kingdom, in the rat race of life, trying to get to the top, trying to use people for my agenda. You know, we maybe wouldn't say it because that'd be embarrassing, but which one do you feel more at home in? The kingdom of God is characterized by humility and dependence. The kingdom of Satan is characterized by pride and selfishness. And so which kingdom would you say you fit in or you feel more comfortable in? You may have come here today and you may have come here defeated. Maybe you had a terrible week. And I love that we're in a place where you can be honest and say, I had a terrible week. 
Maybe that's you. Maybe you came and, man, you had a really tough week and, man, you, you feel very defeated. Maybe you came today and you're kind of investigating faith. You're not really sure what you believe about Jesus and, and maybe you're watching online and, and you're just here kind of investigating. Or maybe you came here, you're a, a follower of Jesus and you came here to worship your king. We all came here for different reasons and no matter why you came or what you were expecting... The invitation from this passage is the same for all of us. And and here's what I mean. Jesus came to defeat an opponent called sin. And and on our own, we we couldn't defeat sin. That's why he had to come. On our own, we could do all the, 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 our best. We could have our best day every day. And we couldn't have defeated sin. And so Jesus came to defeat our opponent's sin. And one day he's going to banish sin and his kingdom's going to come. But, but, but until then, what he says is he says, hey, I want you to give the world a little picture of what the kingdom's going to be like. I want you to give the world a little picture of what it looks like to love unconditionally, what it looks like to serve people with no agenda, what it looks like to take sin seriously because it destroys people's lives. I want you to be someone who gives the world a picture, just a little picture of what the kingdom's going to be like. And maybe you're here and you'd say, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but you get this. And here's what I mean. You, like, you're exhausted because of the rat race. Like, you get this whole culture is just trying to, you know, you have to kind of climb your way to the top in culture. And if that means you got to push on people and like, you get that. You've been a part of that. It's an exhausting way to live. And, and, and you get this, like, you, you get this idea that, man, sometimes I like to do things my own way and, and that doesn't always work out. And, and so, man, I, I get this you know, trying to work my way to the top and try to do things my own way. And that just hasn't always worked out well. And the invitation to you, Jesus would say is, man, he would just invite you into a relationship. He would say, man, you know what? This, this whole thing for you, it just starts with you saying yes to me. You're exhausting yourself trying to get to the top and do things the way the culture says it. You're trying to figure life out on your own. And man, you're, 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 it's, it's hard. And, and sometimes we don't want to admit it, but it is hard. And he's saying, I, I'm inviting you into a relationship that will give you some rest for your soul. You say, how, how would I start a relationship with Jesus? How would I start that? Maybe you're here and you, you've just been investigating. It's, it's real simple. Would you be willing to admit to God that you've sinned? Like, like, would you be willing to say, hey, God, I admit it. I've been trying to do things my own way, and it's just not working out, and I've not done it your way. I admit that. Would you be willing to believe in your heart that when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that for you? And then would you be willing to just come to him and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm coming to you. I want you to save me. I want you to take over my life. You can do that today. You can do that before we leave. You can just cry out to God and talk to him and invite him in to change you. Maybe you're here and I know there's quite a few of you that, man, there's been a time in your life when you've already done that. You, you've, you've already become a follower of Jesus. And, and if you're honest, maybe you're at a, a place or maybe you have been at a place in your life where you have stopped taking sin seriously in some of the areas of your life. 
And you, maybe at some point in your life, you, you did and, and you were taking sin seriously and you were kind of doing things the right way, but you've allowed things to kind of creep in and, and, and you've told yourself all the same lies. This isn't a big deal. It's just small. It doesn't hurt anybody else. And Satan's there saying, yep, you're right, buddy. You just, you just keep doing that. You keep doing that knowing that it's going to take over. And so for you, it's, today would be a day where you would just say, man, you know what? I, I just need to repent. I need to agree with God about my sin and say, you know what? It is a big deal. It is a big deal. It does crush families. It does hurt people. It, it does hurt myself. It does hurt my testimony. It is a big deal. God, I agree with you. I need your forgiveness. And then maybe for you, it's removing some things out of your life. It's removing some things out of your life that hinder you and putting some things in your life that will help. And this is where this is the hard work. This is the hard, oh, I can, I can feel bad, I can feel sorry, and you know, that's screwing up my life, but I don't know if I want to take a step and actually get radical and get it out of my life. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. And as his followers, we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving. And that's what he wanted his disciples to get. The target is different. A follower of Jesus serves the way Jesus did and takes sin seriously because Jesus took it seriously. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul uh, or for Mark and, and just what he wrote down. Lord, we, we believe Peter probably helped him write some of this stuff down. But Lord, it was your words. It was what you wanted us to hear, what you wanted us to read. And Lord, in our society, our, our society tells us to use people so that we can accomplish our agenda. Use people so that we can be happy. And God, that's just not what your kingdom calls us to do. And God, I pray if, if we in our life have done that, even this past week, Lord, I pray that we would just repent, that we would say, man, that was the wrong way to do it. And that we would come before you and agree with you and, and really decide to serve people with no agenda. And part of that serving people means that, man, we, we take sin seriously because sin hurts people and you died for sin. So God, I, I pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, whatever you're saying to us today... I pray that we would have the courage to do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.